pediatric junkies. Welcome to another episode of the SNAP podcast. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Joseph Ranke, the CEO and founder of Fitbucks. You may have heard of him or his company, but let me give you a little bit of background about the man behind the business. He went to school for finance after realizing he was super interested in investments, which he told me he's been making since he was about 10 years old. He worked for the LA Dodgers for a moment and then transitioned into wealth management in 2008, which wasn't a hot time to be in finances. During that time, he realized that the world of finances was super segmented, so he took it upon himself to create an algorithm that could help people make sound financial decisions. Him and his team decided that student debt and student loans were where they wanted to first implement this. His wife is actually a PT, so they started with PT school grads and have since branched out to other providers. Today, we wanted to talk to him about just that. How do we go about paying off our mountain of debt without eating ramen for the rest of our lives? Listen in to hear his loan repayment knowledge bonds. I mean, if your wife's a PT, you kind of understand where we're at as far as how much people are taking out in student loans, how much they're actually getting paid realistically, because um, sometimes it's a little bit of a mismatch. I think there's a lot of people that are really shocked at how much PTs have taken out in student loans. I've yeah, We reached out to some of our followers that are students and new professionals and asked them, you know, what's the range that you're taking out for student loans? And some people are really lucky where they've gotten scholarships or they're able to pay it as they go, which is amazing. I wasn't one of those people. Um, and it goes all the way up to, I think we had somebody tell us that with their undergrad and PT school together, they have 200,000 out in yeah, student loans. Um, average new grad salary is about 71 to 73,000. Mm -hmm. um, average debt on our platform for PTs is 153,000. So Which it's not uncommon crazy. for us. Yeah, it's not uncommon for us. Just in the last four years, we never used to see that many in the two hundred thousand dollar range, and now I probably see at least one or two a day. Um, wow. Yeah, it's not uncommon. It's funny about the whole PT thing. Like, yeah. So yeah, I, I know I know more about PT than I probably want to. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Lucky you. <laughs> but on the bright side, you get to share some of this finance knowledge with us because I don't know about all of our listeners, but for us, we had one class where they kind of brought in all of these people who were really great in their field and telling us, you know, these are the kind of insurances you need to have, and this is how you need to pay off your student loans. But I mean, one two-hour lecture on each of these topics is just really not enough. And then you're like, how does this apply to me? And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. And then you're, you start to ask questions like, I mean, how much does it cost to reach out to somebody that actually helps me with all of this stuff? Yeah, and it's like $600 an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh man, I don't even know about any of this. Yeah. Well, I used to, I, I joke around with the real estate people. They're like, you know, give me an example of this whole thing. And I'm like, okay, well, I want to buy a house. So I go to a real estate agent and I go to the real estate agent and I say, well, how much money can it, you know, like, can I afford this house? And they say, I don't know, here's a mortgage broker. So I go to the mortgage broker and I say, okay, well, how much, you know, house, you know, can I afford this? And they say, well, how much, this is how much loan you qualify for. It's like, well, that's great that I qualify for that. Can I, can I, is it good for me to buy this much house? They're like, well, we don't know. Go talk to a financial planner. So then you go talk to a financial planner and the financial planner is like, I don't know. I don't even know how to do stuff with investments and insurance. I don't know anything about debt because a lot of people don't realize this on the CFP exams, like financial planning exams. There's not one question about debt. None, zero. So they know nothing about debt. So it's like you're ignoring someone's entire balance sheet on that side of it. And so now you're buying a house and, and you're trying to make the right decision. Like, how the hell is all this stuff? I, can't, I have no one to go to. Right. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, PTs, you guys can look at everything, whereas doctors are specialized and it's like they'll miss something. 
like, hey, my shoulder's hurting. Yeah, but it might be because your neck. Like, a lot of doctors miss right. that. Right? It's the same type of thing in finance. So. Wow. Well, maybe I'll be able to speak your language a little bit because I feel like you're really good at speaking our language. <laughs> you could fake it through. I would believe that you had some PT training there. I have a lot of practice and I've also been through a lot of PT myself. So let's get kind of into the meat of it then. Yeah. So one of our like first questions, we talked about what the average is about with students taking out loans. So when we talk about starting to pay off this student loan debt, how soon should we start or when should we start paying off our student loans? Would you suggest? So thinking about it and paying it off to some like different things. So thinking about it, I mean, we even work with free DPTs. Um, I mean, the sooner the better, just because you can start setting up stuff, the more knowledge you have going into something, the better it is. And it doesn't matter where that stage is at. So like, if you've already graduated, it's good because now you can start planning for a house, a family, retirement, everything else. Whereas the longer you wait, the more your hands get tied. Now, if you're a student, you can start planning for graduation. Like if you like now, if you're a student, but you're a pre-DBT, now you can start planning as a student. So the earlier, the better. In terms of repaying it, you shouldn't actually repay anything until you actually have a plan in place, especially with student loans, because you have two high-level strategies. Either A, you're going to pay them off, or you're going to go on some type of loan forgiveness plan, which could be something like uh, like most. When I say loan forgiveness, I'm referring to things like income-based repayment, pay as you earn, repay. The government classifies them all as loan forgiveness. You have to know what you're doing on both of those sides. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that we see people make. They start making payments in school or right after graduation, or they get a gift for graduation, like 20 grand or 10 grand, and they throw it all at the loans. And then they go for loan forgiveness. It's like, why do you make payments? You're going for loan forgiveness, right? So you have to, when you say repaying loans, it's more of what do I think I'm going to do and start my strategy? Like, and then from there, that's what you do. So when should you start? Immediately, as soon as possible. So as soon as you have a plan, start following that plan and yep. just sticking with it. Yep, exactly. So we, we kind of talked about like different, you mentioned a few different repayment options earlier. Um, one of our listeners was wondering, they heard that using income-driven repayment was the smartest option as a new grad. What is your opinion on that? Can you give us a little bit of insight? Depends on your goals. Um, depends on your goals. It depends on your income. It depends on your debt level. Okay. Earlier in the podcast, I said when we looked at PTs, their debt to income ratio basically made our technology like the perfect fit. The reason being is because at about $70,000 in income and $153,000 in debt, you're right in this gray area where you can go either way, paying off the loans or loan forgiveness. Which way is the best way? That whichever one you're going to do. That's the one that we always say. There is no right or wrong. Which one are you going to do? Like, which one are you comfortable doing? Which one do you understand? Um, and so when people say the smart, when you're talking about the pure financial standpoint of it, when I give you an example, like let's just say I have $153,000 and I'm paying off my loans in 10 years. And then after my loans are paid off, because I don't have a loan anymore, I'm going to save the money. How much money would I have after 20 years? If we compare that to like the 20 year income driven repayment plan called pay as you earn and we say, okay, well, what happens if my payments are really small when I start and then I save for all 20 years and then I pay the tax at the end when my loans are forgiven, how much money do I have left over at $153,000 for most people, the long-term difference between those two scenarios is basically nothing. It's the same financial situation in the long run. What's different is the short run. Um, and when you're on an income-based repayment plan, income-driven repayment plan, you're going to be able to save a lot sooner 
So like if your number one goal is like buying a house and starting a family and all that type of stuff, and that's before student loans, so that's what you prioritize, loan forgiveness is gonna allow you to do that a lot sooner. So that's the route you would wanna go. Um, other people, they look at that and be like, you know, I just don't trust the government. That's, that's more of a, of a qualitative idea then that's not a quantitative reason. So you gotta factor in that also into the equation. And people just say, like we always talk about in money, it's all about risk and return the risk is just not worth it. Um, now, one of the big things that can change that is, and this is why I hate politics. So like in 2017, um, so again, for those of you that don't know, whenever you have a loan forgiven in this country, it doesn't matter what it is, a car loan, a mortgage loan, a family loan, a student loan, when it's forgiven, the IRS considers that income, you have to pay taxes on it, okay? So like in 2008, when all these homes are getting foreclosed on and people are leaving their houses, technically those mortgages, they had to all claim that as income. So not only did they lose their houses, but they had to pay taxes on the mortgages that they didn't have to pay back. So the government had to put like a special like two-year moratorium on that law during the foreclosure crisis. These student loans are the same way. So when they're forgiven, you have to pay taxes on it. So in 2017, um, a bunch of Republicans they, and Democrats that got together um, and they had bipartisan support to pass a bill that got rid of the tax on these. And it was really fueled by Republicans. And the Republicans in, in the 2018 midterms lost the, the control of the House. That bill, it just died. I mean, once you know, the, the Democrats took over the House, it just died. But then it was funny because then like Biden came out with his plan like a month ago for student loans. And it calls for the tax rate to go to 0%. And it's like, <laughs> guys, like, you just had this three years ago. Like, why didn't you do it then? So some people think the tax is going to go to zero on this. And if that does happen, then that $153,000 where it could be like, hey, you can go either way, it starts actually favoring more and more income-driven payment plans because now there's no more tax on them. But again, now you're relying on the government, right? So right. You know, in 20 years, so what's the best? Again, it's which one allows you to do what your goals are. And so you have to understand what your plan is first to figure out what you want to do your career, personal stuff, and then what student loan complements that. And that's how you're going to decide. And then the numbers obviously play a role into it, but um, you'll decide yes or no based on that because then it fits what you're doing. Hey, everyone. Just cutting away from this conversation for a minute to bring some clarity to the topic of student loan forgiveness. If you have federal student loans, not private, there are a couple of ways that you can qualify for student loan forgiveness as long as you're making payments under the income-driven repayment plan. An income-driven repayment plan sets your monthly student loan payment at an amount that's based off of your income and family size, designed to be a little bit more affordable than standard repayment. There are four different income repayment plans, which you can research at studentaid.gov. To repay your federal student loans under an income-driven plan, you need to fill out an application and qualify based on your income. Under all four plans, the remaining balance after 20 to 25 years is forgiven if your federal student loans aren't fully repaid by that time. This is the first way to achieve federal student loan forgiveness. As Joseph speaks to in our conversation, the amount forgiven at 20 to 25 years is considered taxable income by the IRS. Whether you'll have a balance left or be forgiven at the end of the repayment period depends on a number of factors, such as how quickly your income rises and how large your income is relative to your debt. Because of these factors, you may fully repay your loan before the end of the repayment period. If you're making payments under an income-driven repayment plan, the second way to achieve student loan forgiveness is participation in the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program which provides student loan forgiveness for employees of U.S. federal, state, 
local, or tribal government or nonprofit organizations. Under this program, you may qualify for forgiveness after 10 years of qualifying payments instead of 20 to 25 years. Amounts forgiven under the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program are not considered income by the IRS. Thus, you will not pay taxes on the amount forgiven as the program currently stands. Now that we spelled that out a little bit more, back to the conversation. So this is a little bit of a follow-up to it because we... So this is for our pediatrics group and in pediatrics, it sounds like your wife is more in an ortho based. You said she did a fellowship. Those are our colleagues who tend to get paid a little bit more. Their reimbursement is better from insurance companies, or maybe they do cash pay. Um, In pediatrics, a lot of our patients are reimbursed through Medicaid, which is not the best um, reimburser. And so our salaries tend to be a little bit lower. Does that factor into this at all? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And by the way, the average new grad peds in our platform, I think is like 60 grams, some of that 61,000, right yeah. in that range. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. But the same debt, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that ratio, again, we like math and finance, like, we look at all the ratios. So, you know, at 71,000 and 153, that's a little bit of a, of a two to one ratio in terms of how much you owe versus what you earn. So if, if that income number drops, that ratio increases, which the more it increases, the more it starts saying income during repayment plan. Um, okay. but then again, that's just, again, that's where you have to plan. It's only, this only happens if you stay single for 20 years. What happens if you're getting married? Now you got to factor in your spouse's situation into it. Right. And if they have student loans or not, cause then that can change everything. What is their income? Where do you live? How many, t- like, what's your family? What do you want to do with that? Like, so that's why I was saying, sometimes we show numbers of people and mathematically they would save like forty, fifty thousand dollars by going for loan forgiveness, but they know they're getting married in two or three years, and they're just like, "I just don't want to deal with this. We're paying the thing off." It's like fantastic. Pay it off. Let's go. Right. So those are the things that you got to look at. And that's that's a good thing to keep in mind because I think, especially like you said, when we think about student debt, everybody's mindset is, "I want to pay it off. I want to pay it off now. I don't want it anymore." And then you know, we're not thinking, "Oh, in a few years, I might get married or try to buy a house or I mean." even have kids of our own and have to deal with all of that in our finances. So it is really a good idea. And this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation is having that plan and looking at not only what's your plan right now, but what's your five to 10 year plan. Yep. And that, I mean, when I look at those income during repayment plans and I look at the tax at the end of it, we project out a tax and let's just say that tax is $60,000 and that's what it's supposed to be at 20 years. To me, if you save $60,000, as soon as you have $60,000 saved, in essence, you've paid off your loans. Yes, you have to pay monthly for 20 years, but the big tax bill that you're going to owe at the end, you've already saved for it. So like if, if you're saving you know, $12,000 a year and you do that for five years and you got 60 grand saved up, in essence, you have your loans paid back in five years. Fantastic. Right. Now you can use maybe 20 of that for down payment on a house. Maybe you can do whatever you want. But that's the mindset that I would use if I'm going that route is how quickly am I saving? That makes sense. So we want to, obviously, a lot of us have to take out student loans for PT school, but there is this way to pay them off during PT school. Should you be paying your loans during PT school, like the interest on it? No. No. No, 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 no. I know it's, it's very common. People are going to pay as much as you can while you're in school. And you can, okay? But again, there's two steps to that that you have to think about. 
first step is what we talked about earlier. Are you going to be paying off your loan or going for loan forgiveness? Because if you're saying, look, I think I'm, there's a chance I might be going towards loan forgiveness. Don't, you don't want to pay anything extra. You want to start saving for the tax and just start saving. Okay. So you want to think that's first and foremost. Second, and I didn't expect this when we started FitBlocks. Right now, as of today, we have about $10 million of credit card debt on our platform. And the number one reason is because people they don't, don't plan for post-graduation when they start working and you can't take out a loan anymore. So the only thing they have is a credit card. So they rack up the credit card and they get in this rat race because their monthly payment starts and they can't pay off the credit card and just balloons. So what you want to do is actually sit down and project out like how much might I need post-graduation? Do I have like 10 or 15 grand in the bank? And make sure you have that. Now, once you have those two things, if you say, hey, I am going to pay it off and I do have enough money in the bank, fantastic. Start making $100 payments here or there. Start doing stuff like that. Now, you brought up, and this is another major mistake we see people make, you brought up like paying off the interest on your loans, okay? Well, if your payoff strategy is to target the high interest rate loan, why are you paying the interest off on your lowest interest rate loans? Just start paying everything on your high interest rate loan as fast as you can. Don't just throw it across all of them. Start targeting that one specific loan. And so that's like the three layers that we typically look at with students. What are you gonna do post-graduation? Do you know you're paying it off? If you know you're paying it off, then go in and say, do I have enough in my account to, to last as an emergency fund? If I have that, yes, then let's start making some payments and then start targeting specific loans instead of just throwing it across the board all over the place. Perfect. So we have a lot of, um, obviously for PT school, we all went to undergrad before. Um, when we talk about consolidation, is that the best option for us? And people are wondering what are the benefits or risks to consolidating our loans? Yeah, this is one of those things where, I mean, again, the three big things we talk about is understanding, planning, implementing. This is where understanding can be massive. Okay. So and also understanding the difference between like consolidation and refinancing, because those are actually two different things. Okay. So like consolidation just means merging of your loans and there's really no benefit to it. Um, like 99% of the time, if you stay in your federal loans, you don't want to consolidate because then like, for example, if you're paying off your loans and you want to target specific loans with extra payments, you can't do it anymore because you just have one gigantic loan. So it actually ends up costing you money in the long run. Um, and then like, the only time we really see consolidation is actually for older borrowers like that might not have a loan that would qualify for loan forgiveness then they have to consolidate to change the type of loan, so on and so forth. That's, that is very few people that should do that. Now, refinancing is something different. Refinancing is where you go to a private lender and you say, now that I graduated and I have an income, will you give me a lower interest rate? And if they say yes, then they will literally write a check, pay off your old loan and you have a brand new loan with a new company and saves you, saves you money because it's a lower interest rate. So that's the whole point of refinancing and saving money. But you don't always want to do it for two reasons. One, and this is one of the biggest mistakes that we see new grad, especially DBTs make. You guys get bombarded by a company called Laurel Road with mailers about refinancing because they're partnered with the APTA. They're one of our partners too. Uh, but they bombard you guys with emails and mailers and all that stuff about refinancing. I can't tell you how many times people call us up. They're like, I refinanced. And they're like, but I want to go on loan forgiveness. What am I supposed to do? And it's like, once you refinance your loans, you're not in a federal loan anymore. Like you're in a private loan. Right. And so those loans, like refinancing only applies to paying off your strategy. You can't go into loan forgiveness anymore. So that's one big time you definitely don't want to do it. 
Also, you give up federal benefits. So things like when COVID hits, um, and the government has a lot of different types of plans where you can suspend your payments and all that type of stuff. You can suspend your payments on private loans, but it's only for like three months on most of them. And you're gonna start, you're paying it off, period. Like there is no whip, ends, or buts. Um, and so you really have to look at it. Most people, when they refinance, they only look at how much it saves them. You also need to look at what are you giving up? And what's the best loan to go into? Should you do like a 10 year or 15 year, make extra payments, all that type of stuff? So it's not as cut and dry, but the, the whole point is, when should you look into doing it? If you're doing a payoff strategy, you always look into it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it, but you're going to look into it. Right. It sounds like it comes back to really having that plan at mm-hmm. the beginning and knowing what that is. Yep. Yep. And the thing about consolidation is a lot of people are like, oh, they hear the word consolidation from like financial aid or parents or people that graduated a long time ago. Consolidation used to have a big, like, what is a big deal? Because like when you had like 10 or 15 loans in the olden days, like 10 years ago, they used to be at different companies and you used to have to write checks. Well, nowadays, almost all of us that are graduating are going to have those loans at one company. And we have this thing called technology where we can just set up auto payments. Okay. So you don't really have to think about it. I it's just less set an inconvenience. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to make sure every loan's paid off. So that's why there's really no reason to consolidate anymore. It's just, you know, if you have to, to do any of that stuff and change it um, because of the plan you're trying to get on, then you would consolidate. That's it. Refinancing, again, is if you want to pay off your loans. Right. That's not, that makes sense. And I, I honestly didn't understand what were the benefits of consolidating or not because it seemed to me like, they were all in one spot. So it seemed like just a hot topic that people talked about. Yeah. And the government likes it. Cause like I said, now you have one big loan, you can't target loans with prepayments. So that means that they're going to make more. And yeah. It's not, sense. not all that is cracked up to be. <laughs> so when you're paying them back and we talked about how maybe consolidation isn't as beneficial as it used to be to us, is it best to pay on the loans? Like if you're, you have extra and you need to pick what loans you're going to add a little bit extra to, do you just pick the one that has the highest interest rate because you don't want to be paying that much interest? Or do you pick the one that you're going to be able to pay off first because then you're not paying any extra interest on that loan? Yeah. So uh, paying off the highest interest rate one, that's what we call that high interest rate method. That will always save you the most money. Period. Like okay. mathematically, there's no way around it. Um, and so again, for those of you that don't know what that is that are listening is you, you literally just target the highest interest rate loan that you have, no matter what the balance is. The other method is the low balance method, which instead of looking at the interest rate, you look at how much you owe on each loan and the lowest one, that's the one you pay. Dave Ramsey made that one famous. And we say either one is good. And the reason being is because Dave actually bases that on statistics, on behavioral financial statistics that he's collected over 30 years. What I mean by that is you have to realize where Dave started. He started off in credit card debt. If you ever heard a story, he was in a really bad financial situation himself. And basically what he preaches is what he did. Okay. Um, but the key thing is, is that with credit card debt, you chip away at the smaller balances. This is a behavioral thing. Okay. Like we talk about PT all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I give the example. If you have two patients, patient A and patient B, and you give them a home exercise plan, both of them, and patient A sees results in a week, and patient B uh, doesn't see results in a month, patient A is gonna be coming back to you. Patient B is gonna go to a chiropractor. Like, 
you know, that's, that's the reality of it. So based on Dave's theory, we talked about earlier how these things take a long time to do because finance is, is years in the making. His theory is pay out the low balance loans first because you're more likely to accomplish that faster. The faster you accomplish goals, the more likely you are to continue. So if you look in the mirror and you say, hey, that's me, like I, I need that discipline, fantastic. I mean, you guys are all healthcare professionals. You have way more discipline than me. Um, <laughs> so you already had the discipline. That's what I always say. You just never been shown how to apply it to money. So at that point, you just say, okay, highest interest rate that will save me the most. But do I like those little small goals and accomplishments of paying off the low balance loans first? Whichever way you want to do, that's the way to go. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Do you need little wins to help keep you going? Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes like, that's one of the cool things that I'm excited about with our new technologies. We actually can compare highest rate versus low balance over the long run. What does it actually do to you? Like all the way through to retirement. So like in retirement, does it give you like $10,000 more? Yeah, maybe just pay off the low balance one. Is it $100,000 more? It's like, yeah, pay off the high interest rate ones first. Um, right. And then you refinancing and then that can change the whole thing because all of a sudden your loans are really low interest rates. So it's like, okay, it was not that big of a difference. Um, so yeah, but that's the what to look out for. Just know yourself basically. <laughs> that's good advice. Good mm -hmm. advice. So when we talk about changing our student debt from federal to private, is there a better way to go or is it really just about the interest rate? So when you're in school federal, um, because it gives you more flexibility when you graduate, because as much as I say plan and plan early, stuff happens. You don't know, laws change while you're in school. All these things can happen, right? So federal loans give you a lot of flexibility. Uh, once you graduate, it's really, do I save enough money by going to a private loan? Versus, you know, what are my goals and fit my situation? Uh, what does it do to my budget? What does it do to my financial plan? Uh, so in school, max out federal before you ever go to private. And then afterwards, it's just a matter of, I got to compare savings versus what am I giving up in order to switch. And everybody, that's a different number for everybody. I mean, I, I, we go through this every day, so I don't know if I mentioned this, but we work with like 10 different student loan refinance companies. And I mean, we have a free service that will walk you through everything on that, on if you should refinance, the numbers, all that type of stuff. And I mean, I've shown stuff to refinance people and we'll save like $300. And I'm thinking in my head, there, there's no reason for, to do this. And basically I've told them that they're like, I'm doing it. Like, I'm going to save every dollar I can. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, and I've had other people where I'm legitly showing them, Hey, you're going to save $30,000 and do it on this. And I'm like writing up stuff that for our notes already, like this person's refinancing. And then they're like, Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> And right. they're like, yeah, like, I just, I just don't feel comfortable. I'd rather stay in my federal loans. And it's like, okay, we're going to stay in your federal loans. And this is how we're going to repay them. So you just have to look at that dollar amount and say, where's, where's that, like, that threshold for me? What would make it worth it? That makes sense. So if you're trying to, you know, keep your student debt to a minimum while you're in school because you are smart, unlike, I mean, unlike me, I just borrowed, borrowed, borrowed <laughs> because I didn't have anything else. Is there like any tip other than just not taking out as much loans, like as a way to keep it down during school? Yeah, I mean, we've done, and this all varies based on PT schools that you go to, but we've done statistics and something like 60 something percent of graduates say that they think you can work full time your first year. Okay. That, and I, I thought that was amazing. Um, and then it's something like 30% think that you can work full-time your second year. And like another 30% on top of that, I think you can work part-time. 
third years, which most programs, that's when you're doing most of your clinicals is the third year. They're like, no, you're not working any time. Like you're, right. you're doing clinicals. So one is saying, would I be able to do something like that? Um, that's you know, that time period. Um, other things are just like, what can I do in terms of like scholarships or whatever on that side? So that's one way we talk about it is what can you actually be doing to reduce how much you owe? Again, projecting out a hypothetical budget, what's tuition going to be, all that type of stuff, cost of living. So you know how much you should be borrowing. So that's one side of it. But then the other side of it that we also talk about is maybe you're not doing anything to reduce your, like your, your debt at that point in time. Maybe in that time, instead of working, what you're doing is actually building additional skills that could potentially increase your income. And that could be like learning a different language. So like I know in California, for example, like if you speak Spanish and you're going to the peds, you're probably gonna get paid more. Like oh, yeah. there's no Spanish, right? So learn Spanish. Um, I know the big thing right now, a lot of PTs are learning like digital marketing type of stuff, um, podcasts, like just skills that you can develop that can potentially increase your income, but more importantly, potentially give you options. I mean, my wife went from Boston University out to San Jose, California, because she wanted to go through the Kaiser NorCal Fellowship Program. Okay, and there was a PT there specifically that she wanted to be mentored by. So when she got interviewed for the job as an outpatient PT, she basically said, I'll take this job if that person mentors me. The person said, yes, I'll do it. Well, in the meantime, that individual had started blogging about fantasy sports injuries and the impact, like, well, when would this person actually return? Not only when they would return, but would they have, like, what percentage, like, would they be playing at? Like, would they actually be able to get those statistics? She was just doing it for fun, started building a website. Long story short, she's on ESPN now. Like, that's the thing that it just opens up windows. So oftentimes I talk about stuff in school. It's like, yeah, you can decrease how much debt you have, but is there something else out there that can give your career a boost in income or give you more options? And can you continue developing skills that you can do like outpatient PT stuff? We see it all the time. We see new grads all the time negotiate, Hey, I'll work, you know, 30 hours or 40 hours a week, normal PT, but for five or 10 hours a week, like I want to do digital marketing stuff and I'm going to like all the new business I bring, I'm going to take X percentage of the business and that's how I'm going to get paid. And instead of making 70 or $80,000 a year, because they're bringing in extra business for all the other PTs, they might be making $100,000, dollars a year. So things like yeah. that, you got to look at it one way or the other. Are you going to try to improve something in the future or do it now? Like try to reduce it now. Um, so those are the two ways I look at it. That's, that's really cool. I've never thought about changing the perspective from, you know, taking out less money as opposed to how can I build myself up? So I'm going to make more money once I graduate, because it's so yeah. true. It's almost like they expect us coming out to be good at social media just because of our generation. <laughs> so sometimes they'll ask, you know, Hey, can you run this or that? Um, and so negotiating that into your contract is not just a thing that you're going to do because you're a younger clinician who might be a little bit more savvy in that area, but that's a yeah. skill that you can contribute to the company and you should get paid for. Yeah, well, that's why people, I've been asked this a lot on podcasts, like, if, if I had a nail down from when I was younger, what is one, like, when it comes to finances, what's one thing that's different about myself versus others? And this is not what I preach consistently all the time, because it is so different. And you brought up Dave Ramsey, so I'll pick on him. Sorry, Dave, <laughs> if you ever listen to this. But Dave will, like, have you, and all these other guys, they have you build a budget. Like, and there's all these apps out there, right? Like you need a budget, every dollar right. and mint and all these things. 
and all they're doing is focusing on expenses. Mm-hmm. And we have this thing called the R first formula, which is step one, income minus expenses equals remaining cash. That's your budget. And it's like, let's, let's just use logic here, right? You have your expenses. The most you can do is cut them to zero. There's a, there's a definitive amount on how much you can improve your financial standing that way. But on income, it can grow indefinitely. Right. So why are you spending so much time focusing on costs and expenses? Just focus that time and energy on, is there something I can do to increase my income? And guess what, if you increase your income, step two, where we're saying how much is going to assets and debt, guess what, you're gonna increase that now. And so that's what I always tell people is focus on income, not so much on expenses. That's smart. That is a knowledge bomb that you just dropped on us. <laughs> if anything, that I mean, that was like, that's so smart. I feel like I'm going to preach that now to any of the students who come talk to me. That's so smart. <laughs> knowledge bombs, right? I actually chatted with Joseph about my own loans prior to this episode, but learn more and more every time we chat. I hope you got as much out of this as I did. Of course, with all the information he was sharing, there's no way we could keep the conversation to 30 minutes. So we have a part two coming up next. In that episode, we'll focus on budget. And before you skip it, thinking you know how to create a budget, I suggest you listen in. He shares ways to look at your money differently and make yourself more profitable once you graduate or while you're working. As always, we appreciate any reviews, follows, or shares if you gain something from this chat. Until next time.